Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sanaa Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Breaking news out of over thousands of applicants, the Verbally Effective podcast has been selected to showcase at the 2020 South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. Ina Esco will be interviewing Taylor to the Stars and Memphis native Rich Fresh on the big stage. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Verbally Effective Podcast. I am your host, Ina Esco. And although we are well into 2020, I definitely had to get this best of 2019 podcast rolling. So here we are, episodes 50 through 100 of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. We're kicking off 2019 with episode 50. And today I have with me Mr. Kenneth Worlds. He is the president of 3i Creative Communications. So really like your business evolved at that point, right? When you got into the political piece, it kind of grew your business yeah. to what it is today. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do more with the political stuff. I happened to see Tennessee get a new logo. Mm-hmm. So the state of Tennessee has, has the new logo from the, the circle with the three stars. They got the square with the TN in it. What you thought about that logo? And I was like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> But, but that didn't do. That wasn't the hit hitter for me. It was, was they it? paid forty six thousand for it. For that thing right there. And at that point, I was like, "All right, I'm doing something wrong." <laughs> Let me call my mom. Hey, mom, I'm moving to DC. And she was like, "When?" I'm like, "In t- two weeks." And she was like, "You don't even know nothing about DC." And I'm Why like, you said I'm moving to DC? Because I want to be in politics, and if. I was in politics doing, you know, design from a freelance standpoint, but I was seeing a company make 46000 off a logo. Mm-hmm. I was doing something wrong. Okay. So the best way to learn the political game for me was to go to the headquarters. Mm-hmm. So I went to D.C. I didn't know what I was going to learn, okay. but I figured I needed to be there. So what happened in D.C., Mr. Kenneth? I don't know. When you got to D.C., what, what was going on? I spazzed out as soon as I touched ground. What? I was spooked. It was just too fast. I know it was different. It was fast. I worked side while I kept, him, kept him keeping my business afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, jobs I hated um, but taught me a lot. Um, then moved to different organizations, nonprofit sectors and stuff like that where I opened my brain about other issue areas in the world. Um, me thinking I was woke uh, from Memphis only on a, a, maybe a racial standpoint or economic standpoint, walking to these organizations that's focusing on drug policy or Middle Eastern issues and, mm-hmm. you know, tax issues and things of that nature that you wasn't even thinking about. Mm-hmm. It just it opened me up eyes. to a whole lot yeah. of stuff going on. Um, so I became 
much more progressive in my my issues and my values. I don't know the relationships in D.C., what I saw from the people, how they connected and worked with each other. It just lit up some type of fire. You know, um, it was beautiful. People, hey, we could work on these projects together. Mm-hmm. Um, we could make this money together. Just everybody with the synergy. It was it was so much in the city. Um, and just being in a space where you see people that look like you mm-hmm. and think like you, not scared to do good work and have fun. Right. Um, it was pretty different. In Memphis, I felt like it was a situation where people that club weren't the same people that was in politics mm-hmm. um, in Memphis. In D.C. It's both. <laughs> I can tell you. They getting it in. They get it in. <laughs> Night, I have with me Mr. Fresh. He is the tailor to the stars and He's in town here in Memphis from his hometown, and he's visiting from the west side. And I have been blessed with his presence tonight. Hi, Fresh. What's happening? What's happening? I'm I'm not one of the people. I think the only person that really knew I was going through my storm at the time was my brother Chase. Because I'm not a person that's very, I don't like to let people know about my shit because it's not their shit. You know, and what are you going to get? Complain about, oh, I'm broken, I'm homeless, oh, what was me? Everybody going through some shit. They don't want to hear about your shit. The summary of everything that I've spoken about is, you know, that whole story that you heard about from like the 13 year old kid um, to the to the tailor shop, you know, the alterations, all that. It's just like it's just ideas being thrust into the universe. You know, none of these things at no point, none of the things that I've done at any point did I have like cheerleaders or some big support system saying yo this is the move do this do this this is great it was never that it was always like i don't know probably not you shouldn't but i don't know when you sometimes you know you you can see your future so clearly that other people's concept of what your future is supposed to be just doesn't even matter it's like oh you should be this like man cut that shit i've already seen what it's supposed to be (laughs) and so i know through all this is just like believing in it enough to just like risk whatever and today i have with me singer songwriter actress and many other titles but she's going to explain all of that to you guys today i have miss Jalen danae what's up pretty lady hello hello like i said memphis is a tough market this industry is male dominated you know a lot of men um pretty much are the gatekeepers in right. this particular business so right. um how do you feel being a woman and in this, you know, day and age of the Me Too movement and the R. Kelly situation, right. <laughs> you know, things of that nature? Um, is that, you know, on your mind as you approach, you know, this music business? It does. Um, but honestly, it's I'm pretty headstrong about it because I'm aware of these obstacles. And honestly, I've. Just being a woman in general, I face them outside of the things that I go through in the music industry, which I haven't really faced anything like that yet. And hopefully, you know, I won't. But that's just, you know. So you haven't faced any? No, as far as like, I mean, I get like creepy messages from people. A few DMs. (laughs) Right, and my DMs. (laughs) I know you're going to get them. Right, but anything past that, like I haven't had any issues there. Like um, everyone that I've worked with so far has been respectful. Like everyone on my team is respectful. I've had like a really great experience with this. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I'm still going across it cautiously because you hear things. But I'm really comfortable. Like I 
so far I've had a really good experience. I'm I'm having fun with it. And I think that's something that people fail to realize. Like there is a right way to do this and it doesn't mean that everything is corrupt and everything is just sick and twisted. Like it's there's good out here. There are good people. Like I yeah. think people fail to realize that. I'm really happy he's here. I've been trying to get him on the pod for a minute, and he's here. I have none other than Mr. Cameron Whalum, musician extraordinaire, singer. He does a lot of things, but he's of the Bruno Mars band and the Hooligans. Hey, Cameron. Good evening. Oh, no, good evening, <laughs> What's me. up? What's going How on? How you doing? I'm great. I can't complain. So what are your some of your favorite experiences from being in the Bruno Mars family? Uh, I mean, definitely the Super Bowls. You gotta, you gotta. Both of them, the first one, they were two totally different experiences. Like the first one, you know, we were all new to that stage. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know what all it took and how it worked. And you gotta be, you got a minute to get up there. You got twelve minutes to perform. You gotta get off stage. They gotta clear the field. They, it's like it's a whole lot of stuff that we weren't really, you know, that we just got to see from that. It was freezing cold up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they thought it was gonna rain, like they thought it was gonna freeze out. We were gonna have to postpone, like it was just a whole lot of stuff that happened. And then the day after, so we did it, we get done with it. The day after, I'm supposed to leave to come back to Memphis to get ready for my show at the Hard Rock. The flights get canceled, we get snowed in. So that whole week was a whole like little thing. And then the second one was different because we felt like home court advantage, home field advantage. You know what I'm saying? Because we had been there before. So like a lot of you know the other bands, Beyonce's dancers and Coldplay, they they weren't nervous, but a lot of you know they just hadn't done it before. Mm-hmm. So we kind of felt like we had the advantage on that one. And then we we were only up there for like two four minutes or something like that. It so we was like, man, longer. let's go kill it, let's go, you know. <laughs> so it was two different experiences, but they were both those were probably my favorites. And the White House. And the White House. How was that meeting former President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama? It was so cool, was- man. They they cool. Were well, they like cool, like we cool? Oh, cool, cool. Really cool, cool, cool yeah, in real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Michelle was sweet. Like, it felt like they act like they knew us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to stand next to them on the picture and stuff like that. So I'm like, I remember Me and Barack that. was looking eye to eye because he, he was kind of tall. You know what I'm saying? But it was, it was real cool. Mm-hmm. You missed them? Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, don't Trump. we all? And guess who I have with me here today? I have music video director Yo Ali. And you've probably seen him doing videos for the likes of Drake, Block Boy JB, Offset. And he is here in the studio with me today. What's up, Yo Ali? What's good? What's good? How you doing, sir? I am blessed as always, you know, putting in the work. So you said Block Boy JB got out of jail. Y'all filmed the video. You said everything took off after mm-hmm. you crossed. Mm-hmm. So how what 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 happened next? Champagne Poppy, where he coming from? Man, that whole year, that was it was a crazy year. You had your cross, you know, I'm right. the now, right? Name in the city, and then and then next thing you know it, you know I get the phone call from Block like, hey, you know Drake hitting me up. But then you know when Drake, you know we get on a three way call, and apparently Drake been following me for like a week, and I ain't know. I was like. I'm like, well, when you ain't checking happening? out your socials. What's going uh, on? The first thing I did was because I just be working. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people who like me, especially like when it came when I started working with big artists and me and big artists, they like me because I was just professional. Mm-hmm. I ain't never been that person like who get who get starstruck and you know, mm-hmm. like that. I'm just gonna walk up to you like any other person. Best way to be. Mm-hmm. So like when, you, when they kind of when they kind of felt that vibe from you, like. It was immediate. Like we, he cool. Like he always, he always invited. He always allowed to come around. Wow. So I remember when uh, Look Alive came out. Oh, Woo! 
Man, the hardest thing when we shot that, you know, you know, I had to bring you got to bring your friends there. Mm-hmm. So my go to was Theo, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, um, you know, when we were shooting the video, we had to keep it on the low, and that right, was the worst because feeling. It was like, like people that didn't know that y'all mm-hmm. was shooting, it was like the video came out, and they was like, "Well, wait a minute, it was in Memphis. Why we didn't know?" But the, but this the only thing that this would benefiting me though. Because mm-hmm. we did a scene of uh, love. I, we did a scene I see. Love. Mm-hmm. And people don't know, you know, who the song for, technically speaking, yet. But as soon as I walked in there, all you, everybody see, you know, it ain't no Drake in there. So everybody looking at Drake. But I walk in there after everybody, all you see, Drake come, Ali, come over here, come <laughs> over here. So I'm just looking off like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was on and popping. Oh, yeah, that's my dude. So you had the whole concept behind Look Alive. Uh, I mean, basically, I mean, when he called us about, it, he just said, "Just do what we used to do." Mm-hmm. So he didn't really, you know. They just said, "Do how we used to do block videos, how we was doing at the time, and how we was doing at the time is just another, you know, just another person, no person mm-hmm. from the block, just turning up." And that was really to me um, a pivotal moment because after that video came out. It's like, you know, Drake threw Memphis a big-ass alley-oop, and it's just been going big, ever since. Big alley-oop. I mean, that, and it's real, though. Because, I For mean, real? right after that, right after that, everyone just started looking at Memphis. Yes. And a lot of folks don't realize that the only reason I know and seen it, because we end up being out there in L.A. with these people looking. Like, they just wanted Memphis artists. Still to this day, people right. just want a Memphis artist. And today I have two very creative sisters from Memphis 10. First up, I have Faiza Husnia, who is a professional hair and makeup artist from the M. And she has a lot going on in her world that she's going to share with us today. In addition, I have her sister, Manira Safia, and she's a writer and filmmaker most notably known for Juntland. So are you, how do you feel about that? Are, do you feel, um, I know you're excited. Are, are there any feelings of, you know, not not knowing what to expect? Absolutely. You know, you, you're you doing presenting to them mm-hmm. um, what you want to do, right? Yeah. The one thing I've learned, even though these companies, you know, came to me and approached me, the one thing I've learned that they, they don't really do their due diligence and finding out everything that I'm about or that Juntland is about. And so it's having to introduce it to people over and over and over again. Yeah. Like it's the first time that they've ever heard it. So I really, I'm I'm learning how to pitch, which is, that was my weakness. Like I didn't know how to pitch anything. I didn't know how to sell myself mm-hmm. to anybody. I, if it was my way, I would just say, okay, I'm dope. Let's just, just give me the money. <laughs> right. Let me... <laughs> do what I do. Um, but that's not the way it works when people are th- trying to give you money. So yeah, I'm nervous about it. But like I said, I feel like I have a product at the end of the day that people that want. Faiza, you deep in the game. What kind of advice do you have for these young ladies we are seeing on Instagram that, that want to, you know, work with, you know, high end clients like you do? What, what should they be doing right now? Um, do you agree with them promoting themselves on social media? Oh, absolutely. Like you have to, like it's the, the industry is so saturated, but just keeping in mind, that's not really how you book people. That's not really how you gain your relationships. My advice 
is to leave your attitude and your pride and your ego at the door mm. because these projects are not about you. When a director tells you something, even if however he say it, just say, okay, yeah, I, I can change. You're, you are accommodating because it has nothing to do with how good you think you are. People going to think your stuff is trash. Um, and that's what I've come in contact with, with trying to work with people here is they don't understand the concept that this is not about you, like, right. at all. You got to humble yourself. All the way down. <laughs> like, we are, every time I show up to set, I am a student. And my guest today is a wonderful woman from Memphis 10. She is the founder of Couture Cares, and we're going to talk a lot about what she has going on with her nonprofit and projects and just a plethora of things Mrs. Jones has going on. How are you, Davina? I'm great. How are you this evening? I am good. I haven't seen you in a while. It's been a long time. Where you been? In Around. and out. <laughs> <laughs> Around. So what made you want to do a prom dress drive? Like what what made you want to do this specifically? I saw there was a need in Memphis. Um, there's a need, a, a major need, and it's so many girls I can't even touch. Mm -hmm. I've um, been introduced to other young ladies that actually do it in the city. Uh, Memphis Prom Closet, uh, definitely a thank you to her. She is not doing it anymore, so she donated probably like 25 boxes of, of dresses to me this year. Oh, wow. So she's going to actually come to the event to see how I do it. But it's a need. We there are so many young ladies just going through different situations. Um, gotten several phone calls this week, just random calls on different kids going through different things. Um, and it's a need. Prom is expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, you're spending like a thousand dollars on dress, shoes, accessories. And um, and it's different now. It's different. Look, it it's is different. Very, it's a whole it show. Is, yeah, it's a it's a real show. But there there was a need, and mm -hmm. I saw that need. So the first year, I just reached out to family and friends and said, "Hey, I want to do this. Do you have anything in your closet?" I didn't expect the overwhelming of donations. As and now, like my house, my storage mm -hmm. is bananas. So I'm so excited today. I have one of my sorors. In the building with me, Miss Shelby County Commissioner, District 7, Tammy Sawyer. How are you? I'm good. What's up? What's up? How did people respond to you when you were going through this process? Were they looking at you yeah. as our leader? Because, you know. I think there's a couple of reactions that, that still exist. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people who are like, yeah, Tammy Sawyer, that's our leader. That's mm -hmm. our girl. Mm -hmm. If she... if uh, oh, if she mad at FedEx today, we mad at FedEx today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like there, I mean, there are people who like firmly believe in my authenticity, believe that I'm speaking from the heart, believe I'm speaking for the people. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who think I'm doing this to grow my name and get ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, where'd she come from? She just popped up. She don't mm -hmm. care about us. Da -da 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 -da, wow. You know, um, and then there are people who I had to learn from who were like, yeah, cool and also you're coming in community like you're this like bougie rich girl not rich one let's be clear <laughs> but to them right i'm entering into your community like fighting for rights and saying i'm doing it on your behalf but i'm getting more attention and i'm speaking louder than you are mm -hmm. so i had to learn that like i'm actually a very safe character for people mm -hmm. like you close your eyes you listen to me talk there's nothing like that would offend you uh, as a mainstream person it's easy to hear what I'm saying and receive it 
I have two beautiful young ladies here with me today that are female entrepreneurs in their own right. And they are honorees for the Heroin Legacy Brunch. And I have two of the honorees with me today. My first guest is Christina McCarter with the City Tasting Tours. How are you, Christina? I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful. So glad that you made it today. I also have Quavisa Henderson with Electro Life Juice Bar, Inc. Hey, lady. Hey. Thank How you, you for doing? having me. You're welcome. Are you like a one-woman show? Yeah. What? <laughs> How do you keep up with these people on your tour? Like, how many is in your parties? Oh, no, that's easy unless it's 30 people. If it's just 12 people, that's easy. It's upwards of 30 people, though? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's mostly 12 and under. My everyday tour is 12 and under. So okay. that's really easy to handle. I can have conversations with everybody. I can mm-hmm. engage with everybody. After the second stop, really, they're not even listening to me anymore. They're having <laughs> conversations. You know, within their selves and like meeting each other, and by the end, it's like a we're all one big, fr- you know, happy little family eating. Tell me why you got started with Electro Life Juice Bar Inc. Like a lot of families in Memphis and surrounding areas, they um, heart disease, cancer, hypertension, diabetes, kidney failure, everything plagues our family. Mm-hmm. So. Why is that we don't have something healthy we can go to on the corners? Why do we have a fried food franchise, multiple ones, on every corner mm-hmm. in our neighborhoods, specifically our urban areas? So I just want to do something about it. I have one of my good friends and co-workers from iHeartRadio in the building with me today. I've been knowing this lady for like 20 years. I got my girl Big Sue in the building. What's up, lady? What's happening in it? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Now, you know, this industry is very male-dominated. <laughs> so, you don't say. So with you, <laughs> with you, you know, Sue, you really, you know, like I guess a, a woman that I personally know have really excelled in this game. Like, you know, assistant PD, PD, you know, yeah. you have really climbed the ladder. So how is that being a female, you know, even amongst your male counterparts? Do they, yeah. you know, do you feel respected and? Um, amongst my counterparts, absolutely, mm-hmm. I do. Because, at, at you know, I think I think anytime when you you're promoted to a different level, everybody's on the same level. Everybody's got a different story about, you know, how, how they got there. It's not so much the, the, the people that are in your flanks. It's it's the other stuff that you have to deal with. And I'm and I'm not even, you know, not even like in the management. I'm just talking about like period yeah. when you have a title and having to work with different personalities. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking out side of the house mm-hmm. inside the house it's been nothing but support mm-hmm. you know i think um as a woman i think we sometimes have to be a little more cognizant about um identifying allies yeah who's truly an ally who's who's really you know got your back how do you identify a true ally like is it a Man. Is it something a ritual you go through like, <laughs> no <laughs> a certain set of questions some energy what is no, it it's, it's it's just those conversations you know mm-hmm. then you stop and you know you you really pay attention to what someone is saying mm-hmm. you know what i mean just you know just be quiet sometimes and just just observe conversation you know mm-hmm. for somebody that you don't know yeah but you know like i i i lucked out in having a mentor and a friend in Devin Steele. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, who has, who has looked out for everybody mm-hmm. in this building. You know what I mean? But I've also been fortunate in my career to run across um, other men who have been allies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes in this industry, you, you run across those that are, you have to see them for what they are. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to acknowledge that when they're hating on you or they say something crazy to you or something like that, uh, it's intimidation. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, you're going to get this because you're a female. Okay. That's insecurity. <laughs> okay. You know what Number I mean? One. Like, Like, you've got to be able to hear what they say, but understand what the meaning is behind it. Today, I have a true visionary. And when I say that, I'm saying that because he's brought so much to the music culture here in Memphis 10. I'm talking about DJ D-Nice. What's up, D-Nice? How you doing, Mr. Life is Dope? I'm doing good. Finally get up to this podcast. I've been waiting on you, Ina. How was that first Life is Dope? 400, 300 people. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. We knew it was crazy when the name, he was like, we got to come up with a name because we was like. And how did y'all come up with Life is Dope? Man, um, we had... We we were throwing a lot of parties, like Live at the Lux. Uh, we had that party. We had the Project Xmas. We was going crazy. We did a lot of names, but I was like, yo, we got to think of something that can, you know, be one one name each time, like a black affair or a white affair or anything. You know, you know what that is. So my um, my brand is Nice Life, and his brand is Ready D for Dope. And we're playing with the names. I'm like, life, man, life, life is dope. That's nice. Life is dope. You know what I'm saying? Perfect. And Dave was like, yo, <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Life is dope. Life is dope. And then <laughs> we put it on paper. We put it on paper. He made the logo. You know what I mean? Selling the merch. The merch, the yeah, merch. We started I got the hoodie the with the uh, all the hoods in Memphis. Yeah. With the Memphis and the. Um, we finna relaunch that too. Because that's the best one. Yeah, we finna make that's t-shirts out of that. So no we're going to make sure you lace you. You know hoodie. what I'm saying? Everybody asks me, where did I get this hoodie from? I said, like, oh, go to lifeisdope.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was the creation of Life is Dope, man. We did 300 people, and the people were like, yo, if y'all do this again, we'll pay for it. Today, I have with me Candace Rice. She is an MTV star on the Florabama shore, and she got a lot going on, ladies and gents, and you're going to learn about her journey today. What's up, Miss Candice? Hey. How are you, pretty lady? I am great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for even coming, because I know your schedule is tight, right? Yo, it's, it's, it's crazy, but man, no, I, like, I, I'm such a fan. I've admired you for a long time. Thank you. So. So let's talk about like you moving from Memphis to L.A. I mm-hmm. know that's t- two totally different cultures. It I is. mean, when you first got there, did you have to adjust big time? Did you just jump right on in? How was that adapting to the culture in L.A.? Um, I had to recognize that the standards were higher, and I also learned a lot about how the industry really works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, when you move to a city like L.A., um, you're such a you're such a small fish in this big pond, and so it it brought me into a like I'm actually really thankful for the things that I went through because um it honestly keeps it kind of like I don't know I'm not a person that naturally has a big head but it'll keep you humble because it's like there's always somebody smarter younger prettier and better than you at what you're doing mm-hmm. that's just the reality of it so 
it keeps you on your toes. Um, it makes you want to get better at your craft. Um, the hustle, the L.A. hustle, like everybody wants it just as bad as you. Mm-hmm. And also I had to realize that people want it in different ways. So mm-hmm. I had to come to terms with the fact that there's going to be somebody that's willing to sleep with the director or that's mm-hmm. willing to do this to get in certain spaces and in certain rooms that I wasn't willing to do. I heard it's a lot of that. Um, it's a whole lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um I was working. I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna throw the set out there like that because mm. it's a big set. But there was a set that I auditioned on, and I actually made it. Um, but I had noticed a lot of the girls like they picked me because of my talent. But I mean, and to some people in LA standards, I'm just a regular looking girl because I'm brown skin mm-hmm. with a fro. You know what I'm saying? So to them, that's not a higher level standard of beauty. They might think I'm cute because I'm different looking, but it's not a higher level. It's like to them, if you're not mixed. Um, light skin and sometimes it don't even have to be light skin like you gotta be like straight up half Brazilian half mm. Martian or something with some long <laughs> hair and some big fake boobs That's to be able to get that on. to get that it's literally how LA is ran right. so it's like unless you look like that a lot of times you cannot get in certain rooms because they want a certain look because there's a certain girl that they already got their they eyes on that they want to you know what I'm saying take to the back you know what I'm saying take to the back mm-hmm. of the house I call it the back of the house mm-hmm. I know I worked in restaurants too long but yeah <laughs> take it to the back of the house you know what I mean wow. I have one of my good friends that I met like out and about hanging out in the streets of Memphis, like all the cool spots, right? And whenever you go out and you see him, you have the best time. His name is Ken Mack. What's up, Mr. Mack? Everything is good. How about yourself? I am wonderful. Wow. (laughs) How did social therapy begin? Uh, It started, uh, I think Curtis Curtis Gibbons uh, called me and Marvin, and Devin was doing something. At the, uh, I forgot the name of the club downtown, the old EPs, mm-hmm. whatever it was. And we was doing Sunday nights there, and they closed that down. And so Devin was like, let's keep it going. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do something where it was like a throwback of everything. The first time we did it, it was like, it hasn't been duplicated because every time the DJ turned the radio, turned the tables, the whole crowd said, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the thing you guys look for. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. So, but that's how I started. Mm-hmm. So, actually, indirectly, Curtis put it together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we look forward to social therapy. Is Social therapy is like, I don't want to say quarterly, more so like bi-monthly. It's, uh, I think we quarter? do every holiday. It's quarterly. Every holiday. Yeah. yeah. It's like we have Memorial Day coming up. I don't have a clue where it is. Mm-hmm. So, me and Marvin have to figure out where we're going to have it at. Mm-hmm. And you are tuned in to episode 66. I have Mr. Coldway in the building, rapper, singer, producer, amongst other things. What's up, Coldway? Hey, hey. What's up? What's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, everything under the sun is still, you know what I'm saying, still here. So, yeah, I can't complain. Now, (laughs) Coldway, how did race? Or does race come into play with you being an independent artist in Memphis? What what does that look like for you? I'm gonna be completely transparent. I, I need you to be. <laughs> um, because of my image, um, a lot of people automatically assume what my music gonna sound like before they hear it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know the depths of the music, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of a combination, a melting pot of you know. My race, my my style, 
Um, but until I speak, people always it's the beard too. Uh, <laughs> people people don't know what I'm what I'm going to sound like on a track. Um and you know, just by society, you know, whenever I meet a white person, like, oh, you do music? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, you rap? I'm like, <laughs> at times, they're like, oh. you know, that's normally the first thing. But it's not necessarily racist. It's just statistically in the city, yeah, 98% of the rappers are black, yeah. you know. And when you meet somebody who does music in the city, Ninety eight percent of the times they rap. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just statistics that, that get you on that one. In the building, I have with me social media strategists, and I know a lot of people out here listening to the sound of my voice know my good friend Kirsten. Cheers, hey Kirsten, what's going on, girl? What's up, lady? How you doing, child? I'm making a child. What type of I know you said it was a good experience, but this is Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> so, and I know when it comes to politics, things mm-hmm. can get a little ugly mm-hmm. in the M. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not like we have a really pretty picture on politics mm-hmm. here in the city. A lot of mm-hmm. things are kind of similar to how they were back in the day yeah. on a lot of different things. But I am happy that we do have a lot of new people in office right. that are attempting to make change. So, when you were running for city council, I mean, did you run into any challenges along the way? Um, the age thing was a huge thing. And and did they try to make that a big factor? That, you know what? Politics in Memphis, when I ran, um, there wasn't much emphasis on the city council races uh, as there is now. Okay. Because, and I, I give credit to that, to millennials, right? Because... We're an educated generation. We're coming in like, I want to know who I'm voting for, why I'm voting for you, where you come from, what you're going to do. Back in the day, and just keeping it 100, you know, you voted for somebody because they went to high school with you. Mm-hmm. Or you knew their name. Or their you name. knew their name. Or they buried your auntie, right? You right. know, so they got the history. They they got their names <laughs> on. They some morticians. And yeah. they, they drive limousines. And they, they preach at somebody's church. And so you, you voted based off. So when people say, you know, name recognition, name recognition. And there's nothing wrong. You, you That's branding. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the day, you know, folks talk about millennials don't vote. Well, older people voted based off of how proximate you were to their community. Um, Whose grandson are you? What high school did you go to? Oh, you went to Hamilton? Cool, got you. It it was hard getting getting people, like, acclimated to this new wave of leadership and getting them to trust that, you know, yes, I'm 24 years old, but I'm I'm well-educated, I'm well-competent. I know what I'm talking about. I got the desire. And so... You know, I have folks who were like, yeah, we need new blood. We need fresh meat. And then I have people that were like, you know, wait your turn, wait your time. And honestly, and I tell people now, like, the the climate that we live in right now, it's free game. It ain't is. no waiting your wow. time, waiting your oh, turn. Man. I ain't endorsing nobody, mm-hmm. but ain't no waiting your turn, waiting your time. It's free game. You can go out here and do, get whatever you want to get, do whatever you want to do. Nobody has to give you permission. Don't nobody have to endorse you. Hello. All you got to do is hustle for it. Today on episode 68, I got with me Corey Hollywood Coleman. Now, I've been following Corey for quite a while on social media. And can you believe today is the first day that we're actually meeting in 
Harsness. And he's a bouncer at Paula and Rayford's Disco. What's up, Corey Hollywood? What's happening, Double E? How's it going tonight? It's going good. It is going good. good. good, Finally, nice to meet you in person. Same to you. It's a pleasure. But like you mentioned, you have been in HR for about 15 or more years. And now you started your own business, Kitchen Guru Catering Company. Now, I've been seeing you make some beautiful meals on Thank social you. media and i'm like dang and then bam you started the business yeah. how was that Corey? how did you take that leap oh it really happened by chance uh this month is actually my my one year anniversary from my first gig congratulations thank you thank you thank you it's my one year uh from the very first uh, gig prior to that i'd done you know i would always like it's nothing for me to do taco tuesday at the house mm-hmm. and invite 30 friends and just do all kinds of tacos, shrimp tacos, chicken tacos, beef tacos, and enchiladas, and you name it. Or it's nothing for you know, a random Thursday night for me to invite a few people over for crab legs. I love grilled oh crab legs. God. So, you Why know, that, then, so all my friends, they're, they're used to it. So it's nothing for them to come over and have a, a really good meal and a really good drinks and just a really good time. So um, I've uh, after my very first event, um, like, the opportunities just kept knocking. Um, you know, I went into that not didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a a thought. Didn't have an idea. Like I love what I do in my career space. So um, you know, I didn't really see catering as as a business that I would even tap into. Mm-hmm. But I saw a market, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, they kept knocking. By uh, the end of last year, I ended up the year with uh, having fourteen events from May until December. And I said, wait a minute. So I'm on to something something here. So (laughs) if I'm going to uh, either take this serious, I'm going to let it go. And uh, last year, like none of my friends knew that I was catering, you know, because a lot of them, this was lunch catering. So I may take a day off and I, you know, go and cater for, you know, a group of 20 or so people. So a lot of my friends, I didn't post anything on social media, you know, outside of what, you know, my normal cooking that I would do at the house or nothing related to a business. I barely had a name, didn't have a license. So, you know, uh, they making them silent, <laughs> deadly moves <laughs> right. on your ass. It was real quiet. And so I didn't yes. make any noise about it. And so, it, it, you know, I waited until I had all of my ducks in a row. So I waited until I had that business license. I waited until I had my insurance. I waited until, um, you know, I built a social media platform and just had all of my ducks in a row before I made it public and i mean it was it was it was, it was scary because you know i'm one of those people like I, I do a little bit on social media you might see me out and about but like i'm still a relatively <laughs> private guy so Corey on the podcast is, is not something that would happen uh january last year you know so you know because i'm I, what, what what no yeah, not me you gotta uh-uh, step uh-uh. Out now, <laughs> yeah, right now i'm being pulled out to the uh forefront so which is fine you know i'm comfortable being in the spotlight so you know mm-hmm. it's just uh, a blessing you know wow. that's what i'll call it Today, I have with me one of my good friends that has been in the beauty industry for over 20 years doing her thing. I'm talking about Face Girl. That would be Nikki Chanel. What's up, pretty lady? Hey, Ina. Do you ever feel like you're struggling with turning clients down or, you know, I, I know it's a busy industry. It's a very saturated market, yeah. but you have really kind of set your, your brand out. And everybody knows Nikki Chanel face. People girl. say that, but I don't like. I don't know. Well, okay. So there's there's two answers to that. I feel like people are always proud of me, but I don't feel like I've done anything. What? I don't feel like I've done enough. But that's that's probably a response to the social media climate. 
that we have. Okay. So there's that's one thing. And the other thing is I know in reality I have a niche market and I've my mar- I've managed to take my market with me mm-hmm. for every level and I'm very thankful because I uh, you wouldn't be working if you're not able to have repeat clientele. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out a way to grow with the industry because nothing stays the same. Mm-hmm. Nobody stays the same. Nothing that I'm doing now is exactly like the way I did it 10 years ago at a big brand counter or things like that. So I'm able to grow and learn. But with that comes, I got two hands. Mm -hmm. And don't but one of them do shit. So (laughs) I literally cannot do everybody's makeup. And I was so intent on customer service. Mm -hmm. Customer service. You you may hear a billion things about Nikki and Nikki Chanel and Face Girl as a brand, but you will never say that I was nasty to anybody, that I mistreated anybody, that I didn't show up or didn't call. or I have missed one appointment Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm. I overslept. In over 23 years? I missed one, Mm. and I probably cried harder than she did. Wow. And I understood that she, you know, I offered, let me give you this. I do your makeup for free for the rest of the year. I literally overslept and I understood that she was upset. But you have to you have to you have to treat people. This is a service industry. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to get their makeup done. Mm-hmm. And people get their hair and nails done on a schedule. They get their makeup done for events. If they're not mm-hmm. going or doing, nine times out of ten, they're not calling a makeup artist. So what's the difference in me? And the 9,000 of y'all that got a Coastal Scents palette and some brushes from Marshalls and swear that you <laughs> about to slay to the gods. So it was customer service for me. It was right. So I, I believe very, very strongly in treating people well. If I can do it, I'm going to do it. If I can't, I'm going to say I can't do it up front. I'm not going to take your money mm-hmm. and then come back and say, oh, well, For what? No, I'm going to say I can't do it, but I know this person that I've mentored, this person that I believe in, this person that I've worked with, call them. And if you can't get them, call me back. Mm -hmm. Customer service. So I separate myself, me and my less than 8,000 followers on Instagram. We good. (laughs) We good because I treat people right. I had to bring in a heavy hitter. For episode 70, I got my good friend, my boss here at iHeartRadio. We've been knowing each other for a very long time. I'm talking about Devin Steele. Yeah. But when was the first time you picked up some turntables? And who trained you? So, like, how did it happen? So I have a brother that's almost five years older than me. Hey, um, Colin. Really interesting story. My brother is a lot more musical than I am. My brother was in a band and a touring band and was in a band when, when, I, when I was in high school and college and toured for like, 10, 12 years, was in a band and um, had videos on MTV and the whole nine yards. But before that, like, we've always been into all kinds of music. We've always been into hip-hop. We've always been into R&B and soul in my house. Very, very interesting. You know, my mom was a big, you know, Stevie Wonder fan and Owsley Brothers and Peter Cetera in Chicago and all this different stuff. And, um, you know, we would buy hip-hop. You know, my, my brother started buying vinyl on the weekend. we get a little extra money, he would buy vinyl. And I'm like, man, this is cool. You know, we buy records, look at the artwork. You know, Curtis Blow, Run DMC, Eric B. and Rakim. This is like 85, 86. And, you know, I was really young. But he had some friends that DJed that were from New York. Mm-hmm. And there were six or seven brothers. Shouts out to Boosie. The guys, they, they still work around the city, originally from Long Island. And my brother kind of picked it up like, oh, man, this is cool. We never really had the right equipment. So with what we had, 
we kind of just made made do, and I kind of picked it up after him. He went away to college and left what makeshift equipment that we did have. What did you have then? It was like two mismatched turntables, and I think one Christmas he asked my dad for a, a DJ mixer. and okay. It's a company called Atus, A-T-U-S, and a lot of people have been DJing for a long time. It was like a $99 mixer. Okay. So, But the ability to actually blend music you know, actually came pretty, pretty easily. Um, but I just continued, anytime I would get money, to go to Peaches on Park or Pop Tunes downtown or um, Sound Warehouse, you know, and, and it sounds like I'm aging myself, but you have to remember, I started doing this at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am older, but I started doing this when I was a teenager. I started collecting records when I was a teenager. And with me, I have a certified trainer. Yes, you heard me, certified trainer. All you ladies and fellas out there trying to get summertime, fine. We're going to find out all the ins and outs of doing so today with Mr. Wayne Williams from The Recess. What's up, Wayne? What to do, Ena? So what is the big difference between a certified trainer and that guy on Instagram saying, hey, look at me, and he might be I fine as hell. I pounds. Let me show you how to do it, too. <laughs> look, he might be fine as hell, but he probably trying to holler at all his clients that come through the door. Well, that's just two different lines. So uh, I think uh, you t- you touched on uh, two different uh, kind of points that my partners and I, we all would discuss. So the one is the, the person who just got fed up with their life and they changed it and they lost 100 pounds and they're so happy that, hey, I should teach somebody else how to do it. Mm-hmm. That's great. But the difference between that person and a certified trainer is that as a certified trainer, you are educated in the knowledge that everybody is not the same. Every, there are three different body types. There are different uh, <clears throat> makes up of the human body that you have to be aware of. So mm-hmm. while your 100-pound weight loss was due to you doing X, Y, Z, you made me the person with a whole different type body, body type where that process just does not work for them. Mm-hmm. And so knowing how to do something, knowing what to do is the thing, not just duplicating something you did. And today I have with me the sports director over there at Local 24 News, Mr. Doc Holliday. What's up, Doc? And what's up, what's up, what's up? All praise to the most high. Thank you for having me. It's good to be up in here. While you were in the NFL, did you manage your money well? Nope. No? No. See, did you have any guidance? No. Or you was just running reckless? Most, most, most of us young, uh, for real, most of us young black men don't. That's why I tell mm-hmm. people, a lot of times I say it, Making it to professional sports for an inner city kid is, is really not a blessing because they don't understand. They're they giving you this money, and I ain't going to say all agents, but 95% of them, they give you this money, and they surround you with everybody that can take it from you because mm-hmm. they're not going to teach you how to manage it. They ain't going to tell you anything. The agent going to come and be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm only getting you know four, 3%. Hey, check it out. I got a realtor for you, though. Okay, cool. Uh, the realtor gonna bust his head. Mm-hmm. I got a jeweler for you. Jeweler gonna bust his head. I got a tailor for you. The tailor gonna bust his head. I got some, I got an investment banker for you. Investment banker gonna bust his head. Gonna rip him off because we don't know. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, as you just looking in the bank, you know, yeah. Because I had a teammate one day. I was at the bank. I look. I said I looked over. I said, dog, did you just take sixty thousand dollars out the bank, man? We in St. Louis, bro, and it's on a Tuesday. I, why did you do that? Man, because I just like the way to tell us I like their reaction when I take oh, the money out. My. So, yeah. it's Warped. It, yeah, but no, nah, you don't. Not, nine times out of ten, you, you don't get any guidance, and they don't want you to get any guidance because they, they want to get your money back. That's why 95% of them be broke 
and bankrupt shortly after finish playing. You know, I'm throwing a percentage out there, but it's a high percentage. Today, I definitely have a phenomenal woman with me who's going to inspire all of you, men and women, of course. She is the CEO of Clarissa Joy, Inc., where she provides business coaching and consulting services to entrepreneurs. And besides Clarissa Joy, Inc., I mean, she does a million other (laughs) things. Hey, Clarissa, how are you, lady? Hey, Ina Esco. What's going on, lady? Everything. Everything, right? (laughs) Everything. I already know. I already know. Let me ask you this, Clarissa, like just listening to what you just told me about your current field and leadership and being the only woman a lot of times. How have you navigated your career knowing that? You know, has it been a fight, a challenge? All that. It has been all that to be completely transparent, but it goes back to my roots. It's so strongly founded in Christianity. And my mom would always remind me, you know, decades ago, your work is unto the Lord. It Mm. doesn't matter um, those that are around you that don't look like you, that don't feel that you have the same uh, aptitude as others that don't look like you. She says, none of that matters. You go in there, you do the best job you can, you be honest, you have integrity, Mm -hmm. and you help others. So that's how I've excelled. And by them being able to see me as that um, person that's not just doing it for myself or trying to you know, get all the accolades, you um, end up evolving and having a network of people that surround you that that like you for what you know and not just who you are. Mm -hmm. um, And they want to continue to rally around you. So Mm -hmm. I've just been able to build that network and continue to spread that along as I mentor other uh, women of color, women, et cetera, um, in IT that have aspirations to continue growing. But like you said, it's a fight and you've mm-hmm. got to be ready for the fight mm-hmm. and you can't get bitter by the fight. Right. That's the other part. So you've got to keep going and with a smile. Because and you, with a smile. And with a smile. Because you know <laughs> if you don't, you automatically X out. You're labeled. You're labeled. The bitter black woman. Exactly. And once you get that label, it's a hundred times harder removing the label after it's already there. So yeah. why get it? Yeah. You know what you're up against, right? Mm -hmm. All of us know the statistics, so why even feed into them? Just say, Mm -hmm. I'm not a part of that statistic, and I'm going to show others that we are smart. We are intelligent. We We do have thought leadership. We can be creative and innovative, and that's what I'm here to do today. Today, my guest is Mr. Chase, a.k.a. Mr. International a.k.a. Mr. Passport Dundada. He is a licensed aircraft mechanic, a flight mechanic, and training pilot. Hi, Chase. Hey, what's going on? How, How are you, doing? you? I'm fantastic. I, I know it's very lucrative. Um, we're talking about, like, operating on aircrafts and flying, yeah. you know, to different parts of the world. Do you think that this is a an attractive trade? I think so. I mean, it sounds interesting to me because yeah. I like to travel like when I can. But yeah. you know, do you think that's something that? Me personally, yeah, I would rather do that than to work in an office. Yeah, you know, um, and it's not hard. You know, I think like the hardest thing is going to school, honestly, and getting through the eighteen months of school. It's fun. You're talking about a massive machine. You know, like being able to basically travel in time, you know, like let's get real. It can transport over, you know, some planes over 300 people Mm -hmm. thousands of miles away within a matter of hours, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and to be able to say that, yeah, I worked on that. I had a plane come in one time, broke, broke down. I mean, it was broke. And so to fix it and then watch it take off, you know what I mean? Like 
Yeah, I did that. <laughs> I got homies that are pilots, mm-hmm. you know. It's like my friend is getting ready to fly off in that plane. Wow. You know, one of my friends may be a mechanic that's flying with them, mm-hmm. you know. And so to fix something that basically was like, no, this plane can't fly, and to go and fix it and say, it's good now. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really good feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, being able to travel, you know, because some airlines, honestly, whether you're a flight mechanic or a station mechanic, you know, like flight mechanics, they travel all over the world. You know, like, honestly, there's times where I've been to, Shit, I've been to more countries in a week than folks have been in a lifetime. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here, hanging out for episode 75 with my girl, Janine Gordon, the media queen of Memphis. What's up, Janine? Well, I did not know I was a media queen. You are. I will take that. (laughs) You know, as women, we we got to get our hustle on in numerous ways in this yeah. type of business, especially. We do. And, you know, but at the end of the day, as I look back on my life, I always say there was one thing I always neglected, and that was myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had a number of health issues mm-hmm. and it was always, man, I could have like slowed down a little bit. I could have mm-hmm. given up on something, um, but I didn't. And I just, you know, I've battled uh, cancer and, and everything else in between, but it always came at um, a time where someone was like, well, you need to get in here and get this checked. And I'm like, okay, I don't have time for that right mm. now. I'll get back with you on that. Wow. And there was one lady when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was just like, no, you get in here and you come and get this mammogram. And I was like, okay, ma'am, I'll be in there next week. Mm. And actually... I believe she saved my life. She really mm-hmm. did because I was able to get checked, find out I had breast cancer, mm-hmm. get everything treated and move on with my life mm-hmm. and stay busy. Mm-hmm. I hadn't slowed down. No, you me have too. not slowed down. <laughs> I have with me writer, host, stand-up comedian, Basil. What's up, Basil? What's up, baby? How What's you doing? Let me put my six words. What's up? What it do? What it do? What's up? Now, do you think that you being an openly gay comedian, do you think that sets you apart from the rest? Mm. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's like I'm trying to uh, come up with another question. Like, no, I just like them. But yeah. It, it does. It does. And how have people been responding to you? They respond great. They mm-hmm. respond. I think I'm a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Because cause, cause straight comedians, they get on stage, We they talk about gay shit. Yeah. They talk about gay dudes and stuff. So why can't a gay dude get up there and talk about his motherfucking self? And talk True. about other shit. Talk about how just give me, give the point of view that I, my, from my view, you know, from mm-hmm. what I what I think and how I see it. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a different outlook. I have my sister with me, DJ Zetta. Yes. DJ Zetta. What's up, y'all? Yeah, DJ Zetta. What's up? <laughs> What's up, lady? How are you? I am good. I'm feeling good. Let's jump into music. We already mentioned Meg the Stallion. Um, you know, Meg, Cardi B, they're mm-hmm. dominating yeah. the charts. Cardi right B now. is another image. Yes. Um, yes, she is. I have to be very strategic, you know. I may end up DJing for Cardi B. So, do you like I mean, Cardi I like B? It. Yeah, I, she's okay. real, which is what a lot of we was really missing that. Yeah, the Barbie stage, we had that. You know, what not wrong with, it, but we had this loud, obnoxious, funny, mm-hmm. just hood person pop up out of nowhere. The hood girls was hood girl. We were like, ah. Oh, 
oh yeah oh she pop her lips like me or you know mm-hmm. we she was relatable very relatable very relatable there's nothing wrong with cardi b mm-hmm. it's just you know her music and her folks writing for her i'm just real big on writing your own because mm-hmm. mainly because i didn't get everything on my own as a dj so it's just like i want y'all to do the same thing mm-hmm. but before then like her old lick her old stuff yeah she was writing that stuff and it was good she was popping i think she was on a show i don't really watch tv i think she was on some reality show loving hip hop uh-huh. for a so, minute yeah for a minute and it, it, it gave her, her good, music yeah it gave her the exposure she need to get where she is now baby she was in and out on that so, reality show you know. <laughs> she was following the model yeah of what she was you know her literally, career an image literally an image right so you got Meg the Stallion, Cardi B, you know, those ladies are dominating the charts. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess Nikki, you know, with the Megatron, mm-hmm. it, you know, she's going to get back on the charts. I mean, do you think this is going to continue throughout the year or women just, you know, heading the charts right now with rap music? Um, It's building confidence. So it's definitely going to continue. Mm-hmm. I don't see this as being something as a phase, I would say. Um, as far as with women hitting the charts, because Ari Lennox, that's another young lady. I love I, Ari baby. Lennox. You didn't say something, baby. I listen to Shea I've Butter. I've been broke before. before. Yeah, you know I've been broke before. I love, <laughs> I love Ari Lennox. And people, it's just people like that. Um, young, ladies, young ladies like that mm-hmm. that keep it going. It ain't no one hit wonder type of thing, or it ain't no one hit or quitter, mm-hmm. or she had a good song on this. No, it's like we we really pushing that quality yes. music. We're really pushing that quality. That's my girl, though. That's my the girl. The whole album honey. I can bump from beginning to end. to end, and I know every word. Today I have with me multimedia journalist, hip hop artist on-air personality. I feel like he is really like a Memphis encyclopedia, <laughs> Mr. Jared J.B. Boyd. What's up, Jared? Ina, thank you so much for having me in the building. This is this is special to me. This means a lot. How do you think that the black art scene has developed in Memphis? What is that looking like to you right now? Uh, there's so many different sectors involved in pushing our narrative forward. And one of the first, the first story I did when I came home uh, was at the complex in Orange Mile, 2234 Lamar Avenue. I feel like I, I have some days where I feel like man, I should get that tatted on my arm because it's like that <laughs> that location I think will forever. I don't remember addresses, but I mean, I heard people that work there to be like, let me look up and see. I can't, I can't remember the address off the top of my head, but I remember it. Like I feel like I've grown so much in that space. And even if that place doesn't remain there for a long time, I feel like that's going to always be a part of me. 2234 Lamar Avenue, mm. uh, right in Orange Mound where my parents are from. Both of my parents grew up in, on Douglas. Uh, there is, the I think that the, the real nucleus of their energy right now is the collective. Mm-hmm. And uh, the complex is their brick and mortar space. And so, like I was going to say, the, the first story that I wrote in January when I moved back, uh, they were about to send me to cover a funeral, and I was like, man. And then I got out of that, and then I covered this thing they called a great day in the mound, which was supposed to be like a recreation of a great day in Harlem, this picture that had all the Harlem Renaissance. Well, many, uh, probably a couple dozen Harlem Renaissance uh, jazz musicians on a brownstone, uh, outside of the brownstone, just, you know, chilling on on a great day. And, you know, it was like everybody happened to be there. And I think, you know, you might remember Double XL did their mm-hmm. version of it. Even uh, the boy, the boy Tila was in that joint. 
uh, from repping Black Have, but uh, they wanted to do their own their 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 version. It was sort of like a kicking off point of we about to open this art space in Orange Mound, and it's real. This is one of the oldest Black American uh, neighborhoods, and we gonna own it and claim it as a space where we gonna we gonna just explode Black creation out, and then. You know, they did that photograph, and that was my first story. And I wanted to tell just, I just really wanted to tell the story of this moment that I felt like, you know, would have had writers and, you know, directors, people who did videography and poets and Mm. uh, singers and DJs and visual artists. All of us came and took these pictures in the spot, in the mound, you know, a place in, you know, people feel like, uh, you know, I won't go down there. You know, I've invited people to, to art shows at the complex. And they're like, oh, my, my. <laughs> it's like, so I just sometimes just tell people, just 2234 Lamar. You know, they might, yeah. they might not be able to pitch it off the top of the head. Yeah. Now, some folk be like, you talking about the tie shop? It's like, <laughs> yes, man, just meet me there. Trust me, man. And I got my girl in the building with me. She is a songstress and conscious artist. We're going to talk more about that conscious artist. I got Miss Izzy Moore in the building. Hey, Hi. Izzy. Hi, Ina. How you doing, lady? I'm great. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Talk about branding because just listening to you I know you use social media heavily to promote what you're doing and when you think about music you know it's so many social media tools that Mm -hmm. people use now Mm -hmm. to you know sell their music sell whatever they're selling but it's more to it than just music right so you're at the point you're building your brand Mm -hmm. what comes with that Izzy so much it's so crazy like I have to I, like artwork, uh, logos, mm-hmm. um, getting names trademarked, uh, and really realizing what type of lane you want to be in, like getting concrete in your lane and got to start targeting the people that you feel like you're most like. Bam. So now it's like traveling. Now I'm driving, you know, you got to put them miles on your car. I'm driving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drive to Atlanta. You know, it's about now networking and being open so at first I used to be kind of closed, you know, and I, I would feel like walking up to people just talking was almost kind of thirsty. But now it's like, no, <laughs> close mouth don't get fed is what you got to do. So now yeah. so I'm branding myself. I had to get them business cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to order a backdrop. I got to walk up to people like, hey, I'm easy more. You know, I got to be able to be confident enough to sell myself to the people that I'm trying to target. Mm-hmm. So the performing and all of that, it's all cool. But when it comes to the business part, the BMI, the publishing, mm-hmm. the learning split sheets and percentages and all of that, like all of that is a part of just branding and building mm-hmm. as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, and small stuff is like throwaway girl, water bottles, ta- water bottles <laughs> and towels and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like I never I'm thinking just, just me as a performer. That'll be enough. It's like that's it's cool. so much more to it. But it's eighty percent. It's eighty yeah. percent marketing, <laughs> and it's twenty percent. You're right. You're right. Hi, I'm L. Perry, and I'm verbally effective because I write about art and culture, people, and places. So once Teen Appeal came to a close, mm-hmm. what was next for L? Because you've written for quite a few different entities here in Memphis. Tell us about some of those places that you've worked. I've written for Tri-State Defender. I've written for High Ground News. I did specifically some art coverage. Um, I've written for The Flyer. That was freelance art coverage. My Daily Memphian now. Um, 
before the job prior was the Memphis Business Journal, mm-hmm. which was interesting because it sounds really dry, but it's not necessarily like I was writing about hotels and like tourism. So that was interesting. That sound interesting. And I tried to sneak in some music stuff. Just like, hey, uh, <laughs> they're making some money. So let's, you know, maybe we can write about this. This is Stan Bell. I am verbally effective because I know that he who tries may fail. But he who never tries fails more. Success usually comes to those who are too busy to look for it. People think, I mean, especially like when you first get in there, that you're making all this money. Mm-hmm. They will really be surprised yeah, yeah, yeah. how think, much yeah, some of these jocks right. make, right? They would. They, even now they would. I mean, uh, I always say, you know, being on the radio, it could be fame, fortune, or food stamps. Oh. You know, especially yes. you, that's what it is. Yeah, it's what you make it um, you know, and you have to I mean, I was kind of I was really embarrassed um, you know, uh when I had to tell my parents kind of basically what I was making like, straight mm-hmm. out of high, straight out of college. And they was like, they said, "What? You for <laughs> many years and this all you got? You still that's Yeah. And they were like, "But you on the radio." $6 yeah, $6 an hour uh, was what the paycheck was was the was the hourly rate. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know you can do the math. If you're on the air five hours, then you know what time that is. What's that? Thirty dollars. Why do you think it? Like, but why do you think like that's the norm in radio? The, yeah, the, you why? know what? It's kind of like it's kind of like you know you have to. Make, it's like a waitress. You know what? If you if you if you're a wait a waiter or a waitress, they expect you to make your money in the tips, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't get a big hourly. You know, hourly rate. You know, mm-hmm. you might get, but see, they know you're gonna make it up. So they want the DJs to make it up in the streets. You know, right. DJ and sock hops and, and you know dances and going out and making them. That's always been the you know the belief, the mantra uh, of, of what a DJ should do. Disc jockey. That's what DJ stands for. Disc jockey. You spin the yeah. records. You know, um, uh, so that you never really got paid paid until uh, you had a. If you were owned by a good company, a solid company that saw your talent and saw something in you and they felt like you were a dependable lawyer and your ratings were good and mm-hmm. you were an asset, then you could kind of ease, you would ease up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, because I, I remember being on hourly for a while and then finally when I went full time, then they would, they would start talking about salary. Mm-hmm. And even then the salary wasn't hardly anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just still grateful and glad to be on the air. So I said, I knew if they let me in, we'll eventually kick this door down and go in and make this mark and make this, uh, you know, and find a niche and go ahead and carve that thing. And, yeah. uh, so, but no, people expect us to come in there, you know, riding a big fancy car, you know, mm-hmm. with shades and, and, and fancy outfit, <laughs> and they think we're making money. You know, now there are yeah. some DJs now, they... I'm all really making paid. that money now. I'm making that money now. I'm staying uh, bells is making that money. <laughs> Hello. I know the IRS might be listening. <laughs> you know this verbally effective podcast worldwide. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, how much you make? But I yeah. feel you with that. Like yeah. you, you have to. I, I, the mantra is you have to really build your name up and be out in these yeah. streets, and you're gonna you get it yeah. one way or the other. Don't get it. Yeah, you're gonna hustle. I learned to hustle. You're gonna hustle. hustle. You gotta hustle. You gotta work. I told you every time. I think I told. In that meeting we just had recently, I said, I believe in the dignity of work. Mm-hmm. And my dad had a real strong work ethic. That's why I forgot always said, man, when do you sleep, man? What are you working? You hear you there, but I'm I'm a lot of places, but I'm not just at a lot of places to be at a lot of places. I'm there for a reason. I'm at, at, the, at the worthwhile places, the beneficial places, and the places that I need to be. Not just yes. to, I want folks to see me because over here tonight and over there. I'm at the places that really uh, appreciate the service that I 
I bring and what we bring to the table. And I, I'm at the key places, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to say that I won't do anything that's kind of ins- insignificant or whatever. I don't have to get paid for everything I do, but I try to uh, put myself in places where I really need to be, where I feel appreciated, where I, that I can really make a mark. I'm Courtney McNeil, and I'm verbally effective because I'm empowered to bridge the gap between those without a voice to decision makers to bring about change. And you know what? I can feel the energy of some five outfits you be wearing. Ow! Every time I see you, you are dressed to the nine, Courtney. Uh, I was like, is Courtney a stylist? I mean, she got a stylist. What's she doing? She coming up with them outfits herself, honey. Oh, but she got Chic Harmony. She got her yeah. own business. Yeah. So tell me how Chic Harmony came into play. Yeah, Chic Harmony. So a while back, um, I was like, you know, working is cool, but I want more. Like, I want to get to a point where I can say this is what I own. This is something that I enjoy doing. So basically, you know, turning a hobby into a business. I mean, it's only smart, right? Like, so turning a hobby into a business and um, honestly, Chic Harmony and just the name. It's just, I don't know, it's just refreshing. Like, it just brings me, like, to a place where I'm very calm and happy um it's a business you know I push it on Instagram and everything but I'm not like pushing pushing like hustle hustle like come on hit me up hit me up hit me up no because that's something that I'm I'm I really take pride in I'm passionate about and I let it happen organically Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's my baby mm-hmm. like I can tell. it is and so although you know I'm doing other things I still have Chic Harmony going on and you know it just it's a lot of work, I would say, but it doesn't, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Because I can literally be sitting in a pile of clothes in somebody's closet. <laughs> I was like, you know what, but this is okay. I'm, I'm really, I'm okay. Like, mm-hmm. I'm calm. Like, it's just, I don't know. I like it. I love it. Okay. So. For, for those that don't know what Chic Harmony oh, yeah. is, let them know what Chic Harmony is. Yeah, so Chic Harmony is my business. Um, I focus on organizing just not residential but non-residential so you know we have clients who are like event planners they may have inventory we'll do that um but yeah closets though are my specialty so if you need your closet organized hit me (laughs) up this is i make mad beats ceo and founder of unapologetic and i am verbally effective because i am unapologetic because i am passionate because I'm sincere, because I'm vulnerable, because I am me. So while you were in New York, how did you get to rub elbows with some of these big names while you were learning? Um, being obsessed, uh, <laughs> being quite honest. Uh, I, was, I was known for um, just not doing anything other than make beats. Like I was in college and I didn't want to go to no frat parties. I didn't want to do none of that stuff. All I wanted to do was make beats. And uh, I got a call from a friend who said uh, that he was going to be in the studio with Dipset at Quad. And he was like, yo, man, they be doing mixtapes all the time. They always need beats, this and that. He was like, yo, you should come up here on Saturday and just bring a whole bunch of beats. I said, all right, cool, all right, cool. So I, I, you know, I took the train into Manhattan, got up there. Dipset wasn't there. They weren't there. Nobody was there. Oh, the whole studio was empty. And, um, and so I just I asked him, I was like, yo, you mind if I just go in the studio and just pull up some sessions and... Just listen to some beats and stuff. They were like, yeah, man, whatever. Everybody was getting high in the lobby. <laughs> and I was the only person in there who wanted to be in the studio. So I started pulling up beats. And um, 
and just mixing stuff, running them through analog devices. And the owner of the studio, uh, he comes up the elevator. Now, I'm not supposed to be there. Like, this was a hookup situation. <laughs> um, and so my man, he, he runs in, and he's like, hey, man, uh, you got to get out of here because the owner's coming up. And I'm like, but all of my hard drives is hooked up. Everything is set up. I'm like, yeah. bro, I'm not leaving this. Like, what seat. are you doing? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. The owner walks in. And so I'm just like shook. He's like, who is this guy? My man Randy, he says, oh, yeah, that's my friend. Uh, that's my homie, man. Like, he's just a dude. You know, he, he's, he's good people. It's all good, et cetera, et cetera. The owner looks at me and he says, who was that you were just playing? I said, a beat that I made. He was like, Yo, you mix that? I said, yeah. He said, hmm. You ever thought about applying for an internship here? Damn. And now, me being the truthful and transparent person that I am, my first instinct was to say no. <laughs> mm. Because I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. My man Randy was right behind him over his shoulder. And he was like, you say yes, say yes, yes, say yes. <laughs> and so uh, so I said, yeah. And he said, all right, cool. You know, submit a resume. And a month later, I was at Quad uh, interning, and that's how I began to meet people. What's up, everybody? All right, y'all. So I am Sharika, and I also go by Coach Bombshell or Miss Bombshell. So I am the owner and also the trainer at Sharika Fitness, home of the Bombshell. And I would definitely say I am verbally effective because I have a way of motivating people, y'all. So I just have this gift as well as a passion for getting people active, creating that lifestyle of of fitness. So absolutely love what I do. I truly feel like what I have is a gift from God. And now that I have found my purpose in life, helping clients transform their bodies. So losing weight as well as building that confidence, y'all, because that goes along with that amazing transformation. But like many of us that uh, just say went to college or just maybe maybe was active in high school if you played sports and after it ends it's like where do I go from mm-hmm. here so that was like my situation it's like I didn't have a coach I didn't have a trainer I didn't have a game to play so I remember like um I was gaining weight but I was gaining a little booty with it too so I was kind like of excited like <laughs> but then the stomach started growing too so I'm okay, like that'd be the bad and that's the right bad there. thing mm-hmm. I was like why can't it just stay on the other end mm-hmm. and I was like okay Sharik you gotta do something and I started going to these group fitness classes mm-hmm. tired as all get out tired but I just had that drive and like you know, I want it. I want to work out, especially when you start seeing your body change. And I remember uh, one of the instructors, she was like, you should really look at being a trainer. I'm like, or who? <laughs> <laughs> you talking about the person who had a rep right mm-hmm. now? She was like, no, you got to Like, you will really be good at it. And it's just amazing how God works because he will have people in your life that shows you before you even see it in yourself. That's true. And it it intimidated me. It scared me. But at the same time, it also made me excited. Like, mm, maybe. I can do it. Yeah, I can do it. And it's just crazy how, like, that vision went from, like, hmm, I maybe can do this. And now, you know, training, you know, so many clients and being able to travel and just all the other stuff that has come along throughout the years. 
I am April Talbert, and I am verbally effective because I'm black and I'm a woman, and I'm a black woman that does it all. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a mentor. I'm a coach. I'm an entrepreneur, and I will continue to reinvent myself until I make it to the top. How did Gabby Grace Boutique pop off? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Gabby Grace came actually as a children's clothing line. Really? Yes. So my uh, daughter's middle name is Gabrielle, so that's where Gabby comes from. And my cousin, who's more like a sister, her daughter's name is Grace. Uh, Well, her middle name is Grace. So that's where Gabby Grace comes from. So she and I uh, decided to start selling kids' clothes. I mean, did not work. (laughs) What, What happened? It just did not work. Like, I guess... People did not want to invest in growing kids. Mm-hmm. You, and I understand because mm-hmm. I will run to Target in a minute mm-hmm. to get Brooke something to wear. I'm not going to pay $50 for something you're not going to be able to wear next week. Right. So it just didn't work. And then she ended up opening up a snowball cafe, a New Orleans-style snowball cafe, mm-hmm. and it she just got too busy for it. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of partnered with another cousin of mine because she had an idea, and I was like, well, let's just use the Gabby Grace name since I've already started this. And then since she works a full-time job, it got overwhelming for her. Mm. So it ended up just being me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start selling clothes that I like, I'm going to buy clothes that I like, and I'll sell the rest. So that's what I started doing. I actually went out to L.A. um, It was 2016, I believe. Yes, 2016, because our family reunions are out there every two years. And I bought this cute little dress or shirt thing from the garment district. And I'm like, we do not have stuff like this in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Like, this is just adorable. So I found that company, and that was the first First product I bought. My name is Young Soul, and I'm verbally affected because I speak from the soul, and it reaches the soul. I had started testing my feet, uh, you know, just doing the little mixers and open mics and, you know, talent shows and stuff, and people would be like, hey, bro, where this it? Can I find this song? But it wasn't out yet. I was just doing stuff that I had recorded maybe when I was 17, 18. But I'm like, y'all like this old stuff? I'm like, bro, I'm 19, 20 now. But, uh... Ironically, you know, one of my lifelong friends now, he's become a dude named Giants. He was promoting for a pool party. He saw me perform somewhere on campus, and he was like, look, bro, I really want to do this off-campus event. We're going to sell the tickets. The artists are going to be able to make the money. I just want to give artists a platform. He was like, don't even look at it as I'm doing you a favor. Just look at it as this guy, you know, showing you the right way to go. This, I swear to God, this is he, this, these mm-hmm. words he told me. He was like, it's not me, bro. He's like, it's God. Mm-hmm. You know, so we ended up setting up the show, sold out, like maybe 100 people, uh, like standing ovation you know like for real for real and then so that summer you know we just started doing more shows selling like hand-to-hand selling out tickets i think the first venue was 100 the second venue was like 150 the the third venue was 200 but we went up we went over capacity by 50 people and uh, took off from there took off from there but it was like just at murfreesboro you know people in memphis don't it ain't even travel back home it ain't even traveled out to nashville but i'm like okay i got something here i feel like murfreesboro was a good place for me to cut my teeth as an artist you know learn what would and wouldn't work i learned how to put on my first shows out there that's where i learned how to put together you know the tours that i went on that's how i learned how to network and really do a lot of this the training around you know the entertainment industry that i needed to and it also gave me that drive of like okay you got to get it on your own because like i said i came upon a time where where i was you know home for, for a little bit and you're not know, really just couch hopping you know from friend place to friend place and you know it was up to me to really support myself because my family couldn't do anything for me you know like my mom got six kids you know they married you know 
I am Tambra Sheree, and I am verbally effective because I am surrounded by sin, grounded by love. You'll talk yourself out of your own dreams just because of fear yeah. and because of being scared or being told no. People will buckle down off of a no. Yes. Sometimes no is good. No is can be excellent. Let me tell you <laughs> something. And this will take us back to my the very first time that I literally walked into a radio station. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much recorder, gave it to the program director. And he was like, great, we know well, you'll intern. He was like, I'm going to take you to the midday, young lady. I'm going to take you to her. And you'll intern under her. We walked in the room, introduced each other. All It was great. I was already listening to her on the radio. Mm-hmm. Soon as the program director walked out, she says, like, I don't know why they brought you in here. I don't even do interns. What? I kid you not. And how did you That respond? was my intro. If this? I had, if I was sensitive, that would discourage someone. Yeah. I came every day. She didn't say anything to me. Mm-hmm. I just did what I had to do, looked up everything that she needed, mm-hmm. and I kept going every day. Yeah. And I, you know, I weighed her down now. <laughs> so, right. so we're friends to this day. Wow. But that's just to show you that everybody's not going to be welcoming. Mm-hmm. Everybody's not going to do that. A no, sometimes you don't do not get scared of no. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of rejection. Rejection can change your life. It could be yeah. one of the best things to ever happen to you. Hey, this is D McGee, and I am verbally effective because I am a local artist here in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a single mom. I'm a widow. And I think this is just amazing. I love it. Support it because we all are verbally effective. Okay, so you had your concert back in August Mm -hmm. and this was to promote your recent album, Unveil. Tell me about Unveil. So Unveil came from a really um, special place in my heart deep deep place in my heart because I um my husband passed away two years ago November 22nd 2017 so I just recently um before then I had my baby he was just four weeks when my husband passed away Mm. and at the time it was crazy because in the midst of all of that I was actually really trying to think about getting back out to do my you know my music and stuff because he was like I know you you know you once we got married and I had a baby it was I was wifey first lady it was a lot so I really had to put my singing oh, my he career. was a pastor he was a pastor mm-hmm. okay. he was a pastor according to real Balo. he was a pastor of faith covenant um church here in Memphis Tennessee it was just a lot you know just being I was just 30 when we got married and so he passed away when I was 33. He was just 36 when he passed away. So it was just a lot of, you know, just it was just a lot going on at the time. Like, I really, at the time, I was like, hey, you know what? I, I can't do it. I'm not going to do this no more. I don't want to do anything. God, you need to do this. Like, I just had my baby for we. We just celebrated three years of marriage. He just celebrated 25 years of preaching. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I got this two-year-old here. And it's actually on our oldest son. I don't. I don't do the stepson, do my, my bonus baby. So his actually it was on his birthday, on his uh on his uh 15th birthday that he passed away on. So it was just a lot, but I just remember in the back of my head when he told me, he was like, Once you have um junior, I want you to go back into your career because I know you you know stopped doing it once we got married. I want you to get back into it. So that was really got me, okay, I gotta do this. You know, I can't let, you know, this stop me, which it did stop me for a minute, but I you know, try my best to push, push, push for my for my kids, you know. Definitely. So, yeah, so that's, um, so Unveil is, you know, just 
peeling off layers of covering things. So at this um on this particular album, I'm really just peeling off the hurt, the bitter, you know, of the anger that I was with God. Hi, I'm Boo Mitchell, and I'm verbally effective because I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and every day I'm at Royal Studios. Okay, so after you graduated <clears throat> Christian Brothers, what did you do, Mr. Mitchell? Well, while I was at Christian Brothers, I was uh, I started rapping when I was about 16, and by the time I was 17, I had made my first song, and that was... Uh, that was in 88, and shit, wasn't nobody rapping back then. It was yeah. um, it was us, me and my brother, uh, Archie, had a group uh, called the M-Team. The M-Team. And um, Willie Hall's son, Willie Hall is the drummer that's playing drums on Shaft and all the Isaac Hayes records, and his, his son was Gangster Pat. Gangster Pat. And he had a record. So both of us, <laughs> we was like the only cats rapping. Um, my record was called Rolling Samurai because Samurai Suzuki's was mm-hmm. out. And then Gangster Pat had I'm the Gangster. And this was like Gangster Walking was just start had like literally just started that year. In 88. 88, yeah. That's when Gangster Walking started. Uh-huh. Oh, y'all was alive. Yes, DJ Spanish Fly and Ray the J at Club Fly. No Name. Oh, wow. Wow. Were y'all, like, really flowing? I mean, we was, y'all was, we cold. was We was rapping. I don't know how cold we was, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we was getting it. <laughs> so you just said, let me get a group of my friends, and we going to try this rap thing out. Yeah, it was just... It, for me, it was weird. I just literally woke up one day being able to rap. It was like, you know, it was just a, a weird thing. I woke up one Saturday morning and was like, huh, I think I can rap. Mm-hmm. And I started rapping. I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I can rap. It was it was like the Matrix. The <laughs> I think Matrix. I know Kung Fu. I'm John Corrance, and I'm verbally effective because I'm your guy in real estate. I'm your guy in entertainment, and I'm your guy in the Memphis community. And what time frame are we talking that you mm-hmm. entered Lemoyne? 89, 89, fall 89. So mm-hmm. uh, class of 89, Tresman High again, you know, shout out to the Mighty Bears uh, all over the city doing some big things. But entered the, the hollowed halls of Lemoyne on College fall 89 How as a How was freshman. it? It was a different world. I bet it was. I bet it no, was. No, it it was really like the, the TV show. Like it was just like that. Exactly like that because back then, you know, it, it was a lot of pro blackness mm-hmm. and and we're, we're still wearing you know the colorful shirts, the silk shirts. You know, if you look back on the throwbacks, you know, you know, you'll see us and yeah. everything. Um, and 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 then you already you you had your student groups over there. Uh, you you had your Afrocentric people, you know, talking about the motherland for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greeks were just different on the yard, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and even with Lamont on, uh, they had so many different programs. There was a job fair every week. There was some type of community thing on on campus every week. There was a daycare once on on campus, you know, yeah. down down in the um, in the bottom of the student center. And the alphas will go down there on Tuesdays or Thursdays, whatever day, and go read to the kids, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and then one thing that I, that really brought me out of my shell, I know you mentioned this earlier, there used to be a show or a program, Illinois, called Scandalous. Mm-hmm. 
and it was just like in living color. Mm-hmm. You know, you you had your people. They'll go up there and sing. They'll do poetry. They'll do skits. They'll do dancing, and it was all created by the students for the students. Mm-hmm. So that really helped also make my experience at Lamorne really special. It was it was just like, you know, just like school days for real. Yo, what's poppin'? It's the Young Lion, Sammy, man. And right now you're locked in with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Love. And now it's funny that you mentioned social media. I was just about to bring it up. Because mm-hmm. over your 20-year career, social media has entered the game. You've yep. seen artists, you know, become, you know, either one-hit wonders or uh, uh, they have longevity straight off of social media. How are you capitalizing off of social media? It's actually the, the tool that brought me back, actually. Really? Um... I was really focused on just being a songwriter, you know, and cool with just, all right, Sammy the Singer is no longer, but I can write forever. Mm-hmm. And then I'm singing on Instagram three years ago and the Shade Room posted me. And four million views later, I partnered with Empire out in uh, San Francisco and I've dropped about four chart topping projects. I've toured twice. I was on tour with Tank in 2017, just headlining my own. And like I said, something else is big in the pipeline right now. So it's crazy how you can go viral and it'll change your entire life. Um, yeah. I, I was I was behind in mortgage that day. Four mortgages, to it be went honest viral. with you. And then I haven't looked back. Financially, I'm set. My credit is good. And then bigger than just the, the monetary things and the materialistic things, I just have my peace of mind back. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I love social media. I think it's a tool, though. And by that, I mean you should know how to use it and not let it use you. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have this thing on Instagram, actually, where you can see how much time you give it. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's 24 hours in a day. I pretty much give three hours of my day. Oh, you're doing good. That's great, right? That's yeah. what I feel. But then I have those other hours where I'm in the gym. I'm an avid reader, so I stay reading books and keeping my heads and trying to expand my vocabulary and vernacular, you know what I'm saying, to be able to articulate yeah. uh, my ideas. Um, You're very verbally effective. I thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then I just, I'm, I'm tapping into acting now, so I'm really? taking acting classes. I just started that last week. Yeah, I always wanted to merge into that anyway. So now I'm able to scatter myself out because the music has taken a life of its own, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like been on autopilot. So um, I, I don't have anything against social media there's times where you just have to find a balance to tap out sign out log out because it can be draining you know if i don't post in three days people think i'm depressed or going through something it's really like no i'm just at the crib playing xbox chilling i'm good yeah but (laughs) but you know the the consumers feel so invested that i damn near have to put something up every day you know what i mean so um as long as you don't allow it to use you Mm -hmm. and you're not using it impulsively also you got to be mindful on one tweet one Instagram away from really ruining my career. That's the scary part about it. That's true. A lot of people have, you know, created their own quote-unquote suicidal career moments by what they post and what they say. And they'll dig up some old stuff. That too. Yeah, you got to be mindful. Like, I've I've (laughs) never been that guy, though, to just put recklessness out there. Like, I'm sarcastic and I have a sense of humor, but it's nothing that's going to ever hopefully uh, offend anybody or uh, a community of some sort to where I have to, like, backpedal. I'm kind of um, very, very thorough and thought out before I put things up. I'm DJ King, and I am verbally effective because I want to communicate something different to my audience and my platform. I don't want them to just look at how I'm DJing and turn up the parties. I also want them to get involved and see how I'm doing stuff in the community and participate as well. Give me, like, three songs with a vibe mm. that you'll throw on and give me a good vibe. 
One two one step joint, you know. One one of them right now, uh, on chill. But mm-hmm. then in the same night, you can still play like "Baby, I'm Scared of You" or "Love Power" or something yeah, like that. Yeah, oh, he's You got like uh, you got like Fuji's uh, "Ready or Not." Like people liked it when the way it come on. You don't have to really go into the song with that one because. It, oh, you gotta hear Lauren. You yeah. gotta hear Lauren in yeah. that intro. Yeah, yeah, but y'all don't have to go, you know, too far into that one. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Usher, uh, what's what's the name of that? The one, the song I really like to mix. That girl. That that. But the songs I really like to mix together is it's Aston Martin by Rick Ross. Oh yeah. I like and I Aston get Martin. right up into the Drake point, and then I drop the Usher and Alicia Keys, uh, my boo. Mm-hmm. Uh, like. It's like there's always this, but that's going over the same time that the Drake part is playing, and they mix like okay, perfect, okay. like for real. <laughs> got his own thing going. Hey, it's Devin Dion. I'm verbally effective because I am an outspoken go getter. If it's anything that you want out there, you have to speak on it. Believe in your faith, trust in God, and go get it. Do not be afraid to speak. And you would think, you know, uh, Fashion Week has been going on for so long in L.A. and in New York. Mm-hmm. It would be more organized and mm-hmm. more structured. But you said Memphis ain't that bad, huh? It ain't. So you've been <laughs> working with Memphis Fashion Week, right? Yes. So what have you been well, I worked. Well, um, I worked as a personal assistant with a fashion designer. So I did experience Fashion Week with that. And then this year I'm on Memphis Fashion Week committee. Mm-hmm. So, um we we are on top of things mm-hmm. compared to other cities. Mm-hmm. We just have to believe in ourselves. Yeah. Why <laughs> do you think that it's so hard to do just that? Believe in ourselves here in Memphis. What what is what what is the problem? We try so hard to get noticed, and we're worried about how people view us. And then when you think of fashion, you don't think of Memphis. Mm-hmm. You think of New York, L.A., Paris, All Tokyo. Top. Like, for real, that's just being honest. But Memphis is at a good spot right now. Fashion, with media, production, all that. There's so many companies here right now. And it's so many people imitating us right now. And we don't even give ourselves that credit. That's true. It's so many stars that's from the Mid-South, that's from Memphis. And people don't claim it, but I'm going to let y'all know. Y'all see me on the big screen. It's I'm coming. <laughs> it's coming. She claiming that M, baby. Yes. M on her chest. <laughs> Hey, my name is Carlissa Shaw, and I am verbally effective because I'm an author, an attorney, a mother, and an advocate. Wow. So I know you have worked in a variety of law practices, nonprofit, trial law, and now for the county government. Like, what are the differences and similarities between these? They're all so different. Um, I think I'll tell people... Working at a nonprofit was the hardest work I've done as far as, like, the amount of hours that it's required and the least compensated. Mm. Like, literally, I was getting paid. I, I don't even want to do how much I was getting paid an hour <laughs> because it was probably, yeah. like, some dollars, like, mm. minimum wage. Um, but it was the most, rewarding. you know, it was the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, trial work was a lot of fun. And I say fun, it was a lot of stress because we always took our clients' cases very seriously, and we were trying very serious cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so murder trial, I mean, all types of craziness, medical malpractice. We just we only did crazy stuff. I on the news. Yeah, we only did crazy stuff. I was like, wait, every day was really crazy. 
Um, but we worked really hard, and it was very rewarding to get our clients the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also very financially lucrative. And so, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of really high-profile clients mm-hmm. that we were able to help. Um, you know, just I could name a whole list of people. But What have been some of your favorite high-profile clients? Um, everybody. I mean, we have not had a, a, a bad client I, I can't not think of DJ Steffens because DJ is like the little brother who will never go away. I'm like, DJ, I'm not your lawyer no more. Like, <laughs> can you please stop asking me advice about everything in the world? What, um, does, what did he call you? Attorney Shaw? Vanessa? Any, anything, anything. Anything. Just anything. I'm like, DJ, what do you want? Um, but, but our firm created a culture that our clients were like family. They are family. Mm-hmm. And so when you can you can call and you can ask questions and you're family now. And so that was always a whole, whole, whole lot of fun. But also understanding that when I started working for Horn and Wills, I didn't really know the magnitude of our clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one time I went to court and, you know, it, you just get a name on the docket. And usually if there's a rapper, we don't I don't, I don't associate someone's quote-unquote, government name with, a, with who they a, are. They, yeah. So I go to court one day, and Snoop, and their camera's there. I didn't think that they were there for me because there's just a name and a sheet of paper, and it was Snooty Wild. And I was like, oh, hey, everybody. <laughs> Y'all are here for me. Oh, hey, Snoot, that's Snooty Wild. Like, okay. Snooty. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, but it really kind of changed my perspective of what type of firm I was working at and the type of people that I was working with. And so... It really kicked me in high gear of, you know, I can't be half-stepping on any given day. I have to always come in my, I used to joke and say, how to get away with murder. That was my, like, it's like a TV show. Like, every day I have to be on scene and on set and ready to perform. So that was fun. I'm Milton Memphis, and I'm verbally effective because I'm one of the many change agents in Memphis that's currently changing the way people talk and think about Memphis. How was it when you came out to your parents? <laughs> How did they go? So, uh, so that that wasn't um, that wasn't it wasn't bad. And it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> it so, happened. <laughs> it was a conversation. So, so no. So you know, I actually. So what what I got, what I like to tell people is when it comes to being, for some of us anyway, I'm speak for myself. When it comes to being a gay black man, um, you know, there's this whole sense of, of you know, that you've got to. That's why I work so hard because I never like I'm like I realized I was black and then I potentially was gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am gay, um, but you know, so I was like I've got I can't be no broke black man. I've got to to prove my manhood, to prove my status in the community, to 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 prove I've got to do, go above and beyond and, and perform whatever job I'm doing and whatever task. You know, and I don't exactly think that way anymore because I don't I'm not in that same situation. The world has changed and people are embracing sexuality. Um, but for the late nineties, early two thousands, it was a very different experience. Um, and so, you know, for my dad is a He's 62 years old, and, you know, he comes from a time period where that's just something that is just kind of foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I when I moved in with my um, my boyfriend in, I don't know, uh, six or seven years ago, in my late 20s, 33 now, and so in my late 20s, it was finally when I literally had to come to a point to where I had to make a choice of what my future would be. And sadly, it, uh, not sadly, but it wasn't women. Right. <laughs> and so I had to come to, because to, it really, I really was just not involved in dating period for a time in my 20s. I would just focus on career. Mm-hmm. And so I figured that I'll figure that part out later. And, figure you know, so when you finally figure it out, you're like, okay, I can't. 
let me be my truth and let me live my truth and what is that and so I made the decision to get into a relationship and that is when you know when you move in with someone that is when your parents are like who are you living with you know how many bedrooms y'all got Uh, you know me me lying I said we had two we had one why can't I never come over you know oh you were lying at first and so you know so then you know I did little sort of things like invited my boyfriend to um, to my birthday dinner with my parents you know Mm -hmm. and you know, kind of, uh, work you know, in work a man. And, and so, you know, and then my dad still didn't catch the clues at that time. But your uh, mama knew. My mama knew. She knew. Yeah. My mama knew. She, I, you know, I told them in stages. So I told my older sister first. I got an older sister. Oh. Uh, I told her first. My twin can't hold water, so I couldn't tell her. <laughs> uh, although she knew, yeah. but I couldn't give her that paper proof. Right. <laughs> right. I couldn't give her that verbal proof, right. you know, uh, you know, until I was, you know, and I always tell people when it comes to being gay, there's a whole segment was there's a part of it where you for some of us, it's a shock to ourselves. So for me, I had to let go of the idea because I also had that I wanted a wife. I wanted kids and I wanted the white cutter. picket fence. And yeah. I wanted, you know, I wanted that vision that America teaches men and women to have when it comes to what you are to grow up to be. So when you have that understanding that you are gay, and this is why I think so many people have trouble with it, is because you you not only are having to deal with outsiders in the world having an opinion on your life, but you're having to deal with your own opinions on your own life. Mm-hmm. And so to deal with your own opinions on your own life, if you don't if you don't know how to support yourself or love yourself for who you are, it's hard to tell the world who you are. Definitely. And so that is something that I think a lot of people struggle with when it comes to talking about their sexuality. And so it's a process. So for some people, it's like, oh, I was 16 mm-hmm. uh, and I knew and I was I was I was OK to tell the world. I and mean, some of us is 25 or 24 like me. And so for some people in their 30s, they still haven't reached that point. Or for, you know, everybody's story is different. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, so I like to tell people when when it comes to your sexuality, Everybody experiences different, and you have to understand that for some of us, for some of them like me, it comes as a shock. So, you know, it was like, oh, wow. So first I had to let go of the dream. <laughs> let it go. And then build a new one. Yeah. And then and figure out what that looks like and what it can be. And then I was able to, once I was able to 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 build my own confidence and build my own understanding, then I was able to share that with others. Because if you mm. start letting people into your life choices and your things without you even knowing what you're doing, you're just gonna be running around ragged. So you, right. I think you know, I took the time to understand to to I didn't I kept to myself, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and I shared what I wanted to share. You know, so like right now, I'm like very very like just you know tell I'm I'm always an open book. Yeah. But anybody that really wanted to read, they could have read me. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Andrea Finis, and I am verbally effective because I am living my life as authentic and as organic as possible. I'm here to inspire others by searching for myself and my garden. Now, what's going on with you right now, Andrea? I know you have this wonderful brand called In Search of Our Gardens. Tell me about this wonderful brand. So In Search of Our Gardens began with me reading Alice Walker's In Search of Our Garden. Mm -hmm. This was during my, you know, I need to find out who I am journey. And um, there is an essay in her book called In Search of Our Gardens where she talks about her relationship with her mother and part of my trauma or things that I was dealing with um, was my relationship with both my parents and my, and my relationship with my mother. Um, A lot of black women don't talk about the mother issues that we have. Um, And so 
Alice Walker mentioned in the essay, she discusses black women and their mothers and um, how a lot of black mothers or black women back in the day could not be themselves creatively because they were so bogged down with day-to-day life of working for the slave master or working for the, you know, the white family and they could not be their creative selves. They were amazing artists, amazing writers or gardeners, but it was always stifled. And so Alice Walker in search of her mother's gardener, trying to heal her mother, she found her own garden. And so it was so parallel to my own life. Um, Going back and researching my mother's issues was maternal abandonment um, and trying to break this generational curse of mother issues. And during that journey, I realized that in finding the beauty and the grace in trauma helps you heal. And so it it's kind of morphed into a lifestyle blog where it's a resource for black women. Because I was talking to my friend Ken today, like, I don't know if we realize that some of us are not taught basic things like sustainable living or simple living or how to be graceful as a black woman by our mothers. And so the blog is the intent of the blog is to be a resource for black women, how to sew, how to cook this meal, how to decorate your home, how to set your own beauty rituals as a black woman, how to garden, you know, basic, simple and sustainable living, but in a more well-designed feminine aesthetic it doesn't have to be so old school. It's a modern take on simple and sustainable living and healing from what God gave us. So natural medicine, you know. I'm Kevin Cerrito, and I'm verbally effective because Eno Esco said so. And because I'm working every night talking. That's what I do. I talk for a living. I'm hosting trivia. I'm hosting bingo. I'm hosting a radio show. I'm the host of 901 Wrestling at Rec Room twice a month. Almost every day, I'm out there speaking to Memphians, oftentimes about Memphis, verbally effective. Now, let's talk about wrestling for a minute. Now, when I grew up, and I'm a bit Mm -hmm. older than you, just a little bit older than Mm -hmm. you, and I used to wake up Saturday mornings, me and my brother, and we would watch Hook Hogan. uh, Wait. Wait, yeah. what, cha- what channel were you watching? Were you watching here in Memphis or were you watching? No, you were not in Memphis. No, so that's why I, you were not watching TV5. So you grew up in Texas. Yes. So did okay. that sound odd when I said Huck Hogan? Oh, yeah. Why? He wasn't on out here? Well, he was, but like it, it was different. It was, wrestling was different and it changed early in my life, but the territory days, Hulk Hogan was for WWF, right. WWE WWF. now. Right. And. So yeah, that was on almost everywhere in the country by the by the mid '80s, but in Memphis, this is it was one the last territory. So wrestling used to be broken up into different territories, and and wrestlers would just kind of go around. There's a New York territory, which was originally the WWF's territory. You had WCW slash NWA, and you had the Carolinas. So there's all these different parts of the country you can like Google a map and see like the wrestling territories. So the Memphis territory, which uh, would run shows here and in Nashville and in Louisville, Kentucky, and other small towns uh, around the area, and some in Arkansas, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And they were live Saturday mornings in the yep. studio at TV Five, so mm-hmm. 1960 Union Avenue, next to the Chick Fil A that has the you know the, mm-hmm. barely has the wall. And and Jerry Lawler was the Jerry king. Lord, Jerry Lawler, Lawler. Lawler. He's, he's the king of Memphis, the king of king, king of, of wrestling, yeah. and. 
Lance Russell, Dave Brown were your hosts. And that, Dave Brown, I remember Dave Brown. For, for decades and decades. So for decades and decades, the King was the top star. Lawler, of course, became famous in the year that I was born um, with his feud with Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Taxi and the the comedian, and that made national headlines. I made a movie about it starring Jim Carrey. And but me growing up, I would watch TV Five. I would go with my uncle and my brother to the Coliseum mm-hmm. and and watch wrestling. It was going at this point. It was not at a, nearly as as big mm-hmm. as it was, but wrestling has always just had a, a unique relationship with this city. We have mm-hmm. the barbecue and the blues and. And wrestling was our professional sport before yeah. there were the Grizzlies. Wow. I mean, they're the pro team in this town it was wrestling. So your pro team was Jerry Lawler was oh the pro God. team, like because he was the guy. And when he finally won the world title, like in nineteen uh, was eight, I should know this eighty eight or eighty nine, um, the late eighties, uh, it was a huge deal. I'm Kanji Anthony, and I'm verbally effective because of my parents. Married fifty five years, they gave me a strong foundation and showed me what love really is. Okay, so how did you end up in Memphis, Kanji? Well, um, I I sent my reel here, mm-hmm. and I got a, a phone call. So you wanted Memphis. Oh, yeah. He's oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get to Memphis. What was interesting was when I first put my reel together, um, when I went from New York City to Iowa, mm-hmm. Memphis was the first city that called. And then when I told them I'd never actually been a reporter, that it was just, you know... Because they saw New York City behind mm-hmm. me. And I think they thought I was, you know, coming from New York and wanting to come to Memphis. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember who it was who called me, but it, there was a Memphis news director who called me. And I, I said, oh, well, you know, um, I've never been on the air. Mm-hmm. And then it was crickets. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, so I feel like Memphis was always um, kind of on the radar. And in fact, Memphis was the first American city where my dad came through which is crazy he came through the Greyhound bus station mm-hmm. um down on Union Avenue yeah. and so um it, it's just it's and then it made his way to Chicago where he and my mom met so it's just I, there's something about Memphis that has always been in my heart and um so I sent a reel and the news director flew me in and Bosco's was the first restaurant mm-hmm. I ate at and it was so good I had that brick oven pizza <laughs> And and then they they hired me and I was supposed to be here two years and it's been 14. Wow. I'm DJ B.A. right here, a.k.a. No Drama, a.k.a. Brandon Adams. And I'm verbally effective with my hands. And we listen to these turntables, to listen to this music and music speaks. How many of y'all feel the music when y'all out? What's that nightlife looking like? Nightlife is insane. They got so much money over there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. What they doing? What they popping bottles? They got the. They have bottle wars. Like okay, that happens like Miami, Vegas, everywhere else. But they like ridiculous. Like they are insane. They're they're clubs, and they're like even though like little lounges are like compared to most clubs here, Mm. and their clubs are like Vegas and Miami, but they on every corner. Every corner of that God, yeah. So like you walk in, you, you walk into that, and then you walk from one bar, you walk from one club to the next, and then it's just kind of like, well, this is what we doing. We club hopping, but in Bahrain, and nobody would expect it unless you were there. And again, it's international culture, so everybody like authentic. Like you walk in some spots in the U.S., and you got a lot of visitors, a lot of immigrants that make the culture here. Like if you go down to Miami, there's a lot of immigrants. But when you go to places overseas like Bahrain, it's the people that actually came 
from Africa. It's the people that actually came from the UK mm. that are there visiting that make that culture. Mm. Like the DJ actually came from Africa, not his parents. Wow. Like he actually came from uh, the Philippines. So that really enhanced the entire scene over there too. You just you just soak it all in and you enjoy it. Like we were chilling with like, when you think of Ethiopians, right? Mm -hmm. Like all you know is what you see on television. Like a lot of people grow up and they see like remember the commercials from back in the day with the with Ethiopians? the babies hungry yeah. with the flies going oh around. no 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 it no, ain't no, nothing no, no. I already no, know no, it no, ain't no, nothing no, like no, that no no no, no. the Ethiopians <laughs> probably was like the Ethiopians and the Moroccans were probably like my biggest mm -hmm. eye opener mm -hmm. because they came in there and was like you from Ethiopia hold on no you're not no way and they would come in there and party and the ladies were like absolutely beautiful beautiful people and then it just the fellas was coming in they had their own swag and their own dances and i was like man y'all really know how to party mm -hmm. it was just like culture shock yeah you know that's like right now on social media you know we're exposed to so many different cultures now i follow a lot of different uh people from all over but the africans mm -hmm. they are doing it doing it doing it Killing and like the with their right real now. money killing the game they, but that's the thing like you, you, you if you notice the music everything moves in waves mm -hmm. yeah i'm pretty sure you've seen like at one point like for me i really started paying attention like 2000 because that's when i started to get to the game heavy and then just kind of like follow music yeah so you would see like then it was kind of the reggaeton and then it jumped into the dance hall and then it kind of jumped into like all right now we're back in the u.s for a little while like when the south started picking it up like and then it kind of turned into the whole EDM scene. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of followed up with now in like late 19, we're seeing like the Afro beats really starting to pop off. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is, Afro beats always been there. It's always, it's been. always been there. My name is Ina Esco and I am verbally effective because I am a master communicator and I am getting my guests to tell you exactly why they are succeeding in life through their troubles, through their struggles, through their triumphs. That's why I'm verbally effective. So you have interviewed quite a few different people from various industries, whether it's arts, entertainment, culture, politics. But what have you learned from the people that you've interviewed? Oh, we something that I've learned from the people that I've interviewed. Um, it seems like all of their journeys start off, I mean, how can I say this? A lot of things manifest from things that have happened in your early years. A lot. I hear that a lot with my guests. Um, things that they're dealing with, um, it stems from something from their childhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, even with me, like, <laughs> and, and it's amazing because, you know, my guests, they have such fight and they want to succeed. And across all of those different uh, genres, I mean, these people out here in Memphis are so full of grit and grind, like, what I've learned is Memphis is one of the hardest markets to survive in. Yes. <laughs> like, absolutely. wow, what is going on, Memphis? I be mean, like, Memphis, y'all be cutting up. But, the, and they always say, if you can make it in Memphis, you can make it anywhere. Yes, we hear that so many times. Yes. <laughs> and so everyone that has succeeded in Memphis, if they go anywhere else, Memphis has definitely prepared them to excel wherever they go.